New Testaments to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be dealing with the first four verses of Ephesians 6 in our lesson this morning. It's a joy to be with you and to be able to worship God together. You've been an encouragement to me this morning, and I think we've all been edified by the singing of the songs. Appreciate both careful selection of those songs and his thought that he put into that theme. And hopefully that this lesson will be contributing to the encouragement and edification of the hour. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I first want us to realize that the context of this particular passage has to deal with our duties and responsibilities as those who are in Christ. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul dealt with what is likely or commonly referred to as the doctrinal section, where he considered what God's plan from eternity was in Christ Jesus and how all are gathered together in Christ, spiritual blessings are in Christ. There's unity between Jew and Gentile in Christ where we're being built up as the temple of God, where God dwells in us through the Spirit in Christ, through the Word, and the mystery being revealed is so that we'd be filled with the fullness of God where glory would be to Him in the church. And in chapter 4, he makes application of that. We need to walk worthy of that calling. We need to be unified. We need to put off the old man and put on the new man, which involves a change in how we view our relationships. And that's what chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, starts to deal with particularly with the submissive component of relationships, but in every submissive relationship, there is one in authority that needs to be addressed as well. And so you have it in verses 1 through 4 of Ephesians 6. Christians as children and what their responsibilities are in Christ, and parents as being in Christ and what their responsibilities are. I want us to be very clear this morning that the home is obviously important. It is the fabric of society. It's the fabric of the church. It is the earliest institution which bodes its great importance and boasts of its great importance. And because it is so early in its creation and the fact that God created the home, it is not up for us to decide how the home functions any more than it is up to the church to decide how it functions. Christ rules. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in Christ, we have very specific guidelines to follow. And so, families have no right to pick and choose how they're going to parent, how they're going to be in their marriage relationship, how they're going to to be as children before their parents. There are things that we are at liberty to choose. But these guidelines are very strict. These guidelines cannot be changed. The inspired commands concerning children and parents are as much as a salvation issue as we kind of throw that term around from time to time. Well, is this a salvation issue? That is, does it pertain to our souls being lost or saved? Can Can we take it or leave it or differ on it and be okay before God? Well, this is as much as a salvation issue as anything is. It's as much as a salvation issue as the unity of the Spirit in the church of chapter 4 as being needing to put off your old man in his sins and put on the new man, which is 
transformed by the will of God by walking in love and walking in light and walking in wisdom and finding out what is acceptable to the Lord by being that pure and spotless church that Jesus purchased with His own blood and washed with the water of the Word. All of that is on the same plane as children and parents and our expectations from God, what He has given for us to do. You've got to be consistent in your submission to the Lord's will, and that includes who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act as children and also as parents. And as with all of God's Word, I want us to be aware of its benefit, its efficacy, how potent it is in its goodness. And don't doubt that, because the world is, especially today, and it's always been this way, but especially we're dealing with it today, is undermining what is called the nuclear family and the biblical principles on which this country was even established to a degree with the Judeo-Christian values coming from the Bible. And it's being undermined and thrown out the window. And pop psychology is suggesting that we raise our children in different ways, that children are supposed to be more independent and, and, and less obedient to their parents and worried about those kinds of things. And some of that stuff can be deceiving and sound good. But listen to the eternal Word of God because it is timeless. It is certainly always applicable and valid and even more today than it ever has been. Flourishing homes according to the will of the Lord is going to lead then to a flourishing church. We just talked about in three different lessons that I brought about our responsibilities as members of a local church. This could have been added to that, that your responsibility as a member at 84th Street, as a father or as a mother or even as a child, is to obey these principles in Ephesians 6 and verses 1 through 4. Because this church, as all local churches are, is comprised of families, and it starts at home. Children won't be raised by the church. Parents won't raise their children through the church, but it happens at home and that godliness and reverence for God and holiness and purity then is brought to this collective unit. And by that, the church will flourish. So consider first the command for children in verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Noting what I mentioned before, in the Lord modifies obey, not parents. And so what he's not suggesting is that children obey your parents as long as they are telling you to do what would be right in the sight of God. That's true. But the point here is that you as a Christian, you are to obey your parents. That is Christ's requirement of you. If you are to be a faithful Christian as a child under your parents' rule, you cannot disobey your parents from things you might consider to be of extreme importance that is obvious to you to those minute details of the parenting that you are under. You need to obey them in all things as to the Lord. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, this is how Paul put it, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he applies that in various relationships. Verse 20 of Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So when he says, for this is right, he's not just suggesting that it can be beneficial, but you can take it or leave it, or, or it is good, but not necessary. It's not just a good idea. It's the idea of righteousness. This is what it takes for you as a child in the home to be righteous before God. 
You cannot be in a right relationship with God without submitting to the obligations He's given you. And one of those many obligations is obey your parents. When you disobey your parents, you disobey the Lord. Consider what that word suggests. Obey means to hear under from a compound word which bears those two meanings. It speaks of one hearing as being under the authority of someone else. And so you're hearing them, but you're hearing them with the understanding of your position as their subordinate, as one who is obligated to, in hearing their commands, submit to those commands. And so when parents talk about you need to listen to me, not just hear me, but listen to me, that's what they're saying. You need to hear with intent. And you can't hear with intent without truly thinking about what is being said, processing it, and then obeying it. It's intentional hearing, but the carrying out of and adhering to the command. And Proverbs, the first chapter, and in verse 8 then, and we'll revisit Proverbs a number of times throughout this lesson. Wisdom says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. You hear, you do not forsake, In the sixth chapter of Proverbs, and in verse 20, it tells us, My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. So you see the two coming together. Hear, keep. You hear the command, you hear the wisdom, you hear the instruction, and you keep it. You don't hear it and then forget about it and not obey it. In order for you as a child in the Lord, a a Christian child, to be well-pleasing to Christ, You must listen to your parents and do what they say without question and full submissive obedience. What is the importance of this? How how serious is the Lord about this? Well, I want to tell you, while the Lord's serious about everything He commands, the Lord's serious about all His requirements and all His restrictions, this passage in Deuteronomy should tell you just how serious God takes the obedience of children to their parents. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18, Scripture tells us that if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, granted this is under the law of Moses, but it still makes the point. God feels the same way about it. We're just under a different law. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when they have chastened him will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of his city, and they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I understand that's not the law today, but it is how God feels about an insubordinate child. Children, and speaking from experience, I think we all could at times make light of the commands of their parents. And maybe it's because they don't see the deeper implications behind it. We're going to explore that in a little bit. And so they just hear it and it goes through one ear and out the other. We need to realize that even if you as a child do not understand the significance of the command of your mother or your father, it's still important to obey and to disregard it and disobey it. No matter what your reasoning is, is to be in God's sight as this one in this text. 
in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17, we have another graphic representation of the magnitude and gravity of this command for children to obey their parents. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. God doesn't use that language just to use that language. He uses it to stress the importance of the situation. But I want us to notice what he goes on to to say in connection with this command to submit and obey. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And so obey is a command, but also honor is a command. But I want to suggest to you that honor is that disposition of the child that would inevitably lead to that obedience. And so if you think about it, just to do what your parent says in a resentful and reluctant manner with reservation and disputing and complaining, as we'll study in Philippians 2 this morning, that's not going to be effective in submitting to the Lord. The Lord expects for children to revere and honor their parents. The Greek word for honor is timao. Thayer says it means to estimate, to fix the value. And so you have that with items. You fix the value on something, whether you're selling it or you're considering buying it. How valuable is it to you? To what does it equate in a monetary sense? But in a figurative way, as Arton Gingrich mentions, it means to show high regard for. And as we'll notice in Matthew 15 and 1 Timothy 5, it did have a monetary consideration in the honor of parents as children who have grown and are outside the home. But I want to suggest to you that obedience needs to be with the attitude of understanding the value of the parents themselves and the position God has put them in and therefore the value of their wisdom and commands that they give. So notice there in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8, after he says, hear the instruction of your father, don't forsake the law of your mother. He doesn't stop there. He says in verse 9, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. You need to view the advice and the commands and the authority of your parents in that way. They are highly valuable jewelry that you can put on your figurative person and go throughout life with that kind of honor and value because you're submitting to their advice, their wisdom, their commands. You notice there also in Proverbs 6 and verse 20 that we looked at, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. And, and to what extent, though, does this include their obedience and fidelity? Verse 21, which will only come from a child who honors their parents. Bind them continually on your heart. You don't say that about just anything. If something is bound on your heart continually, you value it immensely. You don't just do it once and forget about it. It is at the forefront of your mind. It's constant. You value it. Tie them around your neck. Notice verse 22. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. He says to keep you from an evil woman and the flattering tongue of a seductress and continues with that specific application. We need to see the value that is in our parents' position and in the authority they wield and also in the commands they give and the advice and wisdom that they display. And this, no doubt, continues through life. As I had mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 3 through 4, so this 
includes a command for grown children, though not in the same way as verse 1 necessarily, not being under the parents' rule anymore, honor continues to be. In a discussion of widows being taken into the continual role of benevolence in the church, he shows what a true widow is. There are qualifications to this, but notice he says, honor widows who are really widows, but notice verse 4, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Similarly, in Matthew 15 and in verses 4 through 6, the Pharisees were guilty of supplanting the commands of God with their traditions. And Jesus gives a parallel to their decision to supplant the commands and the authority of God with the traditions of washings and such. He gives a parallel of honoring your father and mother. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might receive from me is a gift to God, he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God no effect by your tradition. And so you honor your parents. And if you honor your parents when they're in need at an old age, you will support them financially. It's an obligation for a child. But as an obligation for a child, even a grown child, it shouldn't come through constraint, through force, but naturally through the value they see in their parents. And that's the point I want to make before moving on to our next point. When he speaks about honoring parents after you have grown older, you notice in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4, he says, let them learn to show piety, reverence for their parents but also to repay their parents. I want to tell you that this honor that a grown child has for his parents is illustrative of a gratitude and reflection of that increased sense of their value. I value my parents and what they've done for me in raising me and the wisdom that they still can impart the older and older I get. And I think that can resonate with every single one of us. And so we're more and more inclined to repay them for everything they've done to us. But now I'm speaking to the children that are still in the home. Don't wait to see the value. Because there are a lot of those who have grown up and have become adults themselves who look back with regret knowing what could have been avoided and what could have benefited them if they had just had that sense of value for their parents and their wisdom that they had while they were in the home. Don't wait. Do it now and let it grow exponentially when you get out of the home. And every child, I think, has made that mistake. I can say I made it as well. I didn't value my parents and their wisdom near as much as I should have, and I know that now because I can see it better than I ever had before. Start looking for it now and live accordingly to that. Very quickly, before we get to... Well, nope, this is the next one. I'm getting ahead of myself. He noticed that the promise is attached to it in verse 3. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He says this is the first commandment with promise. Very quickly, first does not necessarily mean in order or even necessarily in rank, though it may be. Also, he says it's the first commandment with promise. The, the definite article, is not there. And what I think that he's saying is that it is a foremost commandment with promise. One could argue that in Exodus 20 and in verse 4, the second commandment has a promise attached to it. Nevertheless, here in 
Ephesians 6 and verse 2, what he's not necessarily saying is that it is the very first commandment with a promise attached. As Jesus used in Matthew 22 and verses 36 and 38, this word first, he used it as a sense of foremost. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind was not the very first commandment. It was the foremost commandment. And all Paul is doing, I think, is just showing and stressing how important this commandment is and how great the benefits are. He says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And we understand that as a general rule, that obeying your parents and honoring them will lead to wellness of life and a longevity of life because there are disobedient children who did not honor their parents who go on to live long and, by worldly standards, successful lives. And there are godly children who obey their parents and honor their parents who struggle through life and perhaps lose their life earlier than others. But the general rule is that following your parents' commands and wisdom will lead to a longevity, longevity of life. In Proverbs chapter 1, we see an example of this with some pretty specific applications when wisdom says, My son, if sinners entice you do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without a cause. And let us swallow them alive like shield and whole like those who go down to the pit. You shall find all kinds of precious possessions and shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. And the child may think, wait, that sounds great. Why wouldn't I go and, and, and get all of this? He says, for their sweet run, feet run uh, to, to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. And he may not have understood that all of this that he's being encouraged to do would lead to that, but the, the Father knows. Trust that it leads to wellness of life and longevity of life. You could have the same application with Proverbs 23 and verse 31, with a parent may be giving this advice to a child. Do not look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swir swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. You cannot begin to imagine the damage that alcohol could do to your life. I guarantee you, your parents have seen it to one degree or another and in one, in one station of life or another. Trust them. Don't go to that drink. In fact, in Proverbs 30, a mother gives this advice to her child. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine and for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of the afflicted. It does you no good. But this is for a general sense as well, to take with you throughout life, to cultivate in you these, these virtues and characteristics that will allow you to make constantly good decisions. In Proverbs 3 and verse 13, Tells us, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of light to those who hold, hold of her, take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. The same kind of language can be seen in chapter 7. Ultimately, it is the fear of the Lord that parents are to cultivate within their children. And if you can understand that, then you're set up for the rest of your life. 
very quickly, I want us to consider that along with this promise comes a connection that I think is important as we segue into the command for parents. You notice there in Ephesians 6 and in verse 3, he says that you may live long on the earth. Well, the original promise was to the Israelites, and it suggested that they will live long in the land the Lord their God is giving them. And so it was a specific promise for the Israelites. But if you notice in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the recitation of that law connects the same promise to the fifth command, to honor your father and mother. But then as we're familiar with the Old Testament in verse 33, that promise of wellness and longevity in the Canaan land is connected with all the commands of God. He says, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live long or live and that it may be well with you and you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And I believe that while that could be said for every single one of the commands, there's significance in the fact that that promise is linked with the command to honor father and mother. And I'll just put it this way. The father and the mother are the representatives of God to their children. Children don't know God. Children can't reason enough to think through the reality of a creator that's taught them by their parents how would they know authority and responsibility to submit to an authority they don't know that because they have this grand knowledge of god in the universe and their responsibility it starts at the home with the parents the reason that any child will grow up and be submissive to figures of authority and ultimately be submissive to the authority of God and Jesus Christ is because they've learned that relationship with their parents. And it will transition into faith in God. We need to understand that. Parents, you have a profound role to fill. I believe in part, this is why in Leviticus 19 and verse 1, after, after Moses said, Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. He says in verse 3 of Leviticus 19, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Why do you put those together? You honor your parents. You honor God. There's a connection there to be made. Parents, understand your role in the Lord and who you are to your children and do that accordingly before God. He says, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 puts it this way. Do not provoke them lest they become discouraged. The idea is that they lose heart and they lose motivation. They give up. What, what would go into this? I want to tell you that with every position of authority that is considered in the Bible, there are countless warnings to those people in positions of authority, not to abuse the authority. Husbands, don't abuse your wives, but love them and dwell with them with understanding as heirs together of the grace of life. First Peter 3 and verse 7. Masters, you deal with them with understanding as well. You deal with them fairly. That is your servants. And obviously, with the elders of a congregation, you do not lord it over the flock, but you serve with that kind of gentleness and be examples as well. And so it is to parents. An abuse of an authority leads to discouragement in the child. It may be from arbitrary or inconsistent commands and consequences. 
It may be from unreasonably harsh and severe treatment. It may be from rash reactions, from emotions. You don't discipline out of emotion, but out of principle or unrealistic expectations. I'm not saying that you have low standards, but realistic, God-centered, Christ-centered standards. It may come from a lack of praise and tenderness. You've got the discipline down, but you've forgotten the encouragement or poor communication. You expect your child to do something, but they haven't a clue why, because we haven't communicated to them. It may just come through your own hypocrisy. You say and you do not do. You're no better than the Pharisees in Matthew 23, who sit on Moses' seat, but they bind heavy burdens that they can't even bear. Do not provoke your children to wrath. But he says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The authority of a parent is for the benefit of the child. The ASV says, nurture them. It's the same word that was used in chapter 5 of Ephesians and in verse 29 that the husband nourishes and cherishes his wife as he does his own flesh. Nourishes the wife, provides and cares for her to aid her in reaching her full potential in her role that God has given her. We want to give our children what they need to reach their full potential. The commands that we have, the discipline that we administer is out of love to provide for their success. And if we forget that, that is the first step in provoking them to wrath. Barclay in his commentary cited Luther as having used to say, spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. Don't provoke your child to wrath. You bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord and reinforce that obedience with the proper and due praise. I want us to notice the command specifically. He says, bring them up in the nurture or the training and admonition of the Lord. We know the scripture of Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that itself is a general rule. But I want to suggest to you that there is a very specific way. That way he should go is the way of the Lord. And there is a specific way to train that child up in that way. We see it here in Ephesians 6 and in verse 4. And as we had mentioned before, a parent has no liberty with this. You don't get to say, well, we don't believe in parenting in that way. You don't get to say, well, we have adapted a different way of parenting. Something that sounds better for us and it works better for us. My children are different. That's not how the Bible works with any command. It certainly doesn't work here. He says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word training is the Greek word paideia, and it is a very interesting word. In the original language, it commonly just had reference to education or instruction at that level, just education or instruction. But as R.C. Trench noticed that this revealed religion of Christianity in God's Word has given it a deeper meaning, and that's really what the Word came to, to possess even more so after these principles. And it comes from biblical ideas, like from Proverbs 22 and in verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. What the Scripture does not say is that that foolishness bound up in the heart of the child can be reasoned out of him just through instruction, nothing else. You instruct him why that's foolish and what is actually wise, and he'll get out of it completely. It says the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And that's the point with Padiah. It is not just instruction, but effectual instruction, which includes and implies chastening, or as we're accustomed to say, R.C. Trench says, out of a sense of the same truth, Correction. It's used in Hebrews chapter 12 
and in verses 5 through 7 a few different times, and also in verse 11. We're speaking of the discipline that God administers the church through suffering. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. My sons, do not despise the chastening. That's paideia of the Lord. Notice what it's paired with. It's not just instruction. It's not just education. He says, don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son. Chastening involves scourging, he says. And he likens the discipline of the Lord to the discipline of human fathers, which he is sanctioning here. That's his will. Notice in verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to understand that as well. It involves pain. Someone says, I love my child too much to hurt them. God says you need to love them enough to give them some pain. Because that rod of correction will drive the foolishness from them. Consider what we read in Judges chapter 8 and verse 16. And make sense of it if this is not what training, paideia, means as a parent trains a child. In Judges 8 and verse 16, speaking of Gideon, it said he took the elders of the city with thorns and of the wilderness and briars. With them he taught the men of Succoth. With thorns and briars he taught the men of Succoth. What is he saying? Was there information in the thorns and the briars? Was there some education in the way that we would normally think of it in the thorns and the briars? I think we know what it means. I'll teach you. You don't want to listen to my words, I'll teach you. I'll drive that foolishness from you with the rod of correction. And then there is, like Paideia, another word that is used, as he says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, from the Greek word nuthesia, which is a putting in mind, from nous mind and tithemai to put. And so it's putting in their mind something. It is showing them something is wrong. R.C. Trench comments on it, saying that it is the training by word, by the word of encouragement when it is sufficient, but also that of remonstrance, of reproof, of blame, where these may be required, as set over against the training by act and by discipline, which is by die. Understand the significance of this. He's not saying that parenting comes through just encouragement. That's included. He's also not saying that parenting comes through just saying, you shouldn't do that, that's wrong. He also doesn't say that parenting comes through this remonstrance or this rebuke or reproof that is of a more severe nature where the child feels shame and feels that they've disobeyed and is made to change their ways in that regard. That's admonition and that's great, but it's paired with padaya. And so there is that encouragement when it's needed and when it's sufficient. There's also the reproof. There's also the blame. There's also the shame that is brought to disobedience. And all that's reinforced by that corrective discipline. Not like Eli, as we see in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 24, who said, No, my sons, with Hophni and Phinehas, it is not good report that I hear from you. You make the Lord's people transgress. You say, see there, that was admonition. That was Nuthesiah. No, it wasn't. Because in the third chapter in verse 13, God says, You did not restrain them. Which in the Septuagint is from the same root as that word translated admonition. In the New King James Version of Ephesians 6 and in verse 4. Have you seen a parent saying, don't do that, don't do that, stop doing that. I'm restraining them, I'm, I'm admonishing them. No, you're not. It needs to be severe to the point that they understand if I don't correct it, something's coming after it. And then we need to give them that something that comes after it. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. 
And remember, just like it was with the children obey your parents in the Lord, he's talking about a child who is a Christian and his responsibility, the way he serves and obeys Christ is to obey and honor his parents. It's the same thing with parents. You cannot be faithful to the Lord and parent any other way. And this is something that has, has bugged me a little bit personally, hearing of these new pop psychology thoughts of parenting and, and how we do it. And we don't spank our children. We don't do this. We don't, we, we've got a different way of doing it. Some people say, well, my child doesn't need spanking because they fall apart when I look at them. You know, Collins is a lot that way. She's getting a little more stubborn. But I could just look at her and she'd fall apart. The Bible says, though, you give them the rod. And it doesn't distinct, di- distinguish different children in their, their characters and their dispositions. Every child is to be parented this way. What is that training and admonition of the Lord? Very quickly, we won't read all of these But in Deuteronomy 6, we're very familiar with it. You teach it everywhere you go. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you go out, when you stand, everywhere. It's it's bound as on as front lines between your eyes, on your wrist, on your doorpost, everywhere. You seek opportunities to teach your children the Word of God. But you don't just teach them. You reinforce that teaching with corporal discipline. And it's non-negotiable. Parents who don't speak their children are not just doing their children a disservice, they're disobeying the Lord. We need to understand it in that way. In Proverbs 13 and verse 24, we see that discipline is out of love. In Proverbs 19 and in verse 14, we see an interesting thing. I want to read this. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. I've preached on parenting several times in congregations and in assemblies where I knew that a person had grown children who were not faithful to the Lord, and it was painful to see the regret and sorrow on their face. They knew there was no more hope, not as far as it was for their training them. They lost that chance. They can repent and be right with the Lord, certainly. That child can come to their senses in some other way. But as far as the parents' responsibility was concerned, when they had time and hope, they did not take advantage of it, and they lost it all. In Proverbs 22 and verse 15, it's to purge foolishness. In Proverbs 23 and verses 13 through 14, it won't hurt the child or kill the child, but actually save the child. And in Proverbs 29 and verse 15, I want to read this one too. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You know, we live in a society that is plagued by the abandonment of children from their fathers and their mothers. And we detest it. I want to tell you that when we don't train our children in this way, we abandon them. We abandon them. We leave them to themselves, and it will lead to their shame. It's not given to us to decide how the home is to function. The only question is whether we're going to submit to it and apply these principles or not. I hope that this lesson was beneficial to you. Before we